audio off of my laptop. Maybe we'll watch it at the end of the intro. But uh, as you know, welcome everybody. Welcome everybody online. You know, it's always exciting around here. Things never go the way we want. They go the way they need to. But uh, we're right in the middle of a series we started last week, as uh, Chris and Vivi shared, called Recovery Road. And uh, this series is all about uh, us getting to a, another place, another level. You know, and it's, it's something that people are talking about everywhere. Our country is supposedly in the middle of a recovery, uh, a significant recovery, but you kind of wonder if this is really going to happen. And, and for us, we, we watch and we go, I don't know, I don't know. And, and we, we begin, as we talked about last week, to point fingers at people and think it's their fault, it's this person's fault. And what we're doing this series for is because the Bible speaks very clearly about recovery. And I believe it's my responsibility as a minister to speak about what the Bible shares about recovery so that we can get on the right track. And as we talked about last week, recovery begins with who? With me or with we, not they. And, and that's what we really want to do as a church. We want to take advantage of this opportunity that we have incredible opportunity to launch our recovery personally. And it's not just the economy. We're talking about all aspects of our lives. And if you're visiting here with us today, you have an opportunity uh, to recover as well, if you so choose. Now, if you're, this, is, this is a lesson that's really based on people that believe in Jesus, that are Christians. But, you know, if you're not there yet, uh, I'd encourage you just to listen. You can listen free of charge today and, and just kind of weigh it out and think about it if you, when you're ready and, and, and to make that decision. How do we recover? How do we do that? And, and as we talked about, we recover when, when things in our culture intersect with the Bible, we got to talk about it. And, you know, I thought about this theme, recovery. Who are the experts at recovery? Any idea? If people are people that are around us right now, we've got experts in our midst. People who have recovered, they're experts. Okay, can you think of anybody? People who have recovered from maybe an addiction, right? Uh, 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 an, uh, an addiction with alcohol or drugs. And, you know, I thought about that this week and I said, you know, how foolish would it be for us to talk about recovery and not talk to some of these people that have been through recovery and who are recovered. So I made some phone calls and talked to some of my friends that have been through a recovery. And there's people all around us that have recovered from all kinds of addictions. And they are right here among us today. And uh, I asked some of them, I said, you know, if, when you went through your, your, your step program, your 12-step program, what were some of the things that you saw as key elements to you recovering. And, you know, for them, they, they shared, we still followed a 12-step program and that it set them free from an addiction that was basically keeping them prisoner and gave them the keys to a new life. I mean, why not ask them? Why not include them in this whole process of recovery? And what if, if we as a country... And here's some of the organizations. You've got N.A. and, and N.A. And, and many others that... that you know, the anonymous organizations, and they have this, and it's, it's been proven to be successful 
with a huge percentage of our population, people that have started and they were able to overcome their addiction. And I thought, you know, what, what, what would it be like if, if our whole country were to go through something like that, a 12-step program? What, what about Congress? Okay, what if, we got, what if we got the whole Congress of the United States, all 535 members of Congress, and you watch it on C-SPAN, right? And, and, and they show, and, there's, and they're all holding hands in that big room, in the Congress room, and, they, and they're holding hands, and they show it on C-SPAN, and they say, Hi, we're the members of the United States Congress, and we have an addiction. We are spendaholics. We are taxaholics. We are staying in office until we die aholics, right? <laughs> what would that be like? Wouldn't that be cool? So I thought about, you know, if we, we, if we use this 12-step this program, maybe we could give them some of these steps, you know, in, in, in Congress. Here, here's some. Here, imagine this on C-SPAN. Them stepping forward, and they, they sang step one. This is this I adjusted. I modified the first step in the twelve step program for them. Okay, you ready? We are powerless over our spending addiction, and our debt has become unmanageable. Wouldn't that be awesome to hear them say that? And then then step two, and we're going to talk about this next week. You don't want to miss next week. We're having our special Black History Month service, and we've got a guest speaker, Kevin Holland, and he's going to do recovery. He's going to do Recovery Road 3, and we're going to talk about this next week. Step two. Imagine them saying this. We have come to believe that a power greater than ours could restore us to sanity. And imagine every member, all 535, dropping to their knees, bowing their heads and saying, God, this problem is too big for us. Help us. But instead, the reality is we're in a nation that's getting farther and farther away from prayer instead of embracing prayer. You know, but last week, Jesus talked to us about this. Remember? He actually came and spoke at our service, and figuratively speaking. And remember what he said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3? What did he say? He said this, Why do you look at Congress? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to what? Mm. And we talked about that last week. So before we start applauding and, yeah, go get them and talk about Congress and talk about them and they need to get on a 12-step program, wait, 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 wait. Jesus said, before you go there, back up and deal with who? With us. And last week we talked about recovery begins with we, not they. Recovery begins with we, not they. But, you know, why would we look at other people? Because it makes us feel empowered when we point the finger. It, it, because it makes us feel right and, and we don't have to change anything. We put all the blame and all the responsibility on others instead of taking That's why we do that. And we talked about that last week. So this week, we're, we're going to go a different direction. And, and I asked the experts about recovery. I, I asked him, I said, what, what, what were some of the keys for you? And, and one of the things that was shared with several of these people is, and it stood out to me in the 12 steps. I had somebody send me the 12 steps. And, and one of the ones that stood out really, really strong in the 12 steps is number four. Anybody know what number four is in the 12-step program? This is it. 
We have made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. We have made a scathing, a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And the truth of the matter is, anyone who has recovered from an addiction will tell you that they were willing to look in the mirror and face what they saw in themselves first. And one of the things that they, they saw, and this is always the, ro- the road to recovery, and another phrase is, you will never completely recover until you are completely honest with who? Yourself. Yourself. You know, i got to confess, when I was preparing this lesson, it was very convicting. And even last week, you guys think I just get up here and deliver. Now, let me tell you, I definitely owned some things myself. Made some phone calls. Getting things right and saying, you know what, this has got to change and this has got to change because I want to be on the road myself. And, you know, so today this is what we're going to be talking about is... Uh, uh, an inventory of ourselves. Another one is you can't partially recover. You can partially recover, but you will never completely recover until you're first absolutely and completely honest with yourself. You know, a lot of people do have partial recoveries. They change certain areas of their lives. But the truth is they always walk around with a limp. They're never fully, and they sell short, God's opportunity to fully recover in all areas of their lives. And so this is the point today. If there's any point you want to write it down in your notes, if you, you know, don't want to waste a lot of ink, this is the one that you want to waste it on. Okay? You can type it in on your, in your, in your uh, iPhone or your, your, your handheld device. Just write it down. This is it. This is the phrase for the day. Recovery begins with a fearless, fearless, fearless moral inventory. That's how it starts. And for all the people that, have, that I talked to that have been through recovery, this was a huge issue. In fact, I even talked to some people that have been through rehab. You know, where you go away for, you know, about a, a, a week to 30 days, some people 60 days, they go away and they don't come back. They have no contact with the friends. You know, one of the things that one person shared with me is that they write down all their stuff on a big board, a big white board. All their stuff and all the families, all the people in recovery are sitting in the audience and it's up on the board and they share publicly about what they did. And they say this is a huge instrument in helping people get to that next level of recovery. I'm not going to ask any of you to do that today. Are you probably glad? Wow, so glad not on the big screen. But there is a part that you and I you know, and you know this, if you have kids, wouldn't you love it if they just own things, all the parents in the house? Wouldn't you just love that if they just said, you know, I own it. This is my responsibility. I don't blame you. I don't blame the dog. I don't blame the weather. I don't blame anyone. It's not the teacher's fault. It's me. It's not your fault. It's me. Wouldn't that be nice, parents? If you're married, wouldn't it be nice if your husband or your wife, he or she would take Full, full responsibility. Man, that would change your marriage, wouldn't it? What about your boss? What if he were here today and he could hear, you know, 
take full responsibility. Wouldn't it be nice if he or she would at your job? Instead of always blaming you or the, 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 the office, the other office, the other organization, if he or she would just take responsibility. Or maybe your mother-in-law. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe some other family member. You know, what would it be like? Well, how would it change your relationship if they would just own it? Right? But this is where recovery, and this is why recovery doesn't happen with a lot of people. is because they don't have and they don't take that fearless inventory themselves. And you can only recover when you, when you do a, a fearless moral inventory and you own it, own it, own it yourselves all the way, 100%. And when you partially take responsibility for things or point the finger somewhere else, guess what happens? Those things get lodged in your heart. The part that you didn't take responsibility for get lodged in your heart. And we're going to refer back a little bit to the lesson that we did in the, in the end of the year. Remember, that it came from within and we had Godzilla climbing out of the screen here, back here. Remember that? You know, our heart is, is so important, but what happens is if we don't take full responsibility for things, guess what happened? Things get lodged in our hearts. They get stuck there. And what happens over time is they, we start creating stories. We make up stories to excuse and to justify why things happened, why we did what we did. And those stories kind of include and, 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 and make other people at fault. And we blame other people for what happened. And this phrase becomes too common. I'm sorry for what I did, but if it hadn't been for you fill in the blank. It wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have done what I did. And, you know, in, in, in our society, we're so good at psychoanalyzing things. We understand the inner child and, and we understand that, you know, the, the different parts of our brain that function this way and the depth. And, and we were able to explain away everything. But as the people who've recovered, the experts at recovery will tell you none of that will explain away your responsibility and will keep you from a full recovery. And we're not just talking about from an addiction. We're not just talking about finances. We're talking about a recovery from any and every aspect that is holding you down in your life. And we're going to get very specific at the end of our lesson today. Partial confession leads to partial responsibility. Partial confession leads to partial Responsibility. As time goes on, that part that you did not take responsibility, what happens is, is it bubbles up. You hear something, something will go on. It bubbles up to the surface and gets what you have to do to put it back down in its place. You have to tell those stories again or you have to tell that story again and repeat it again and again so you'll push the responsibility back down. But it keeps coming up over and over in our lives. Things will keep happening that will resurface the problem in your heart until you decide, I'm going to own this. This is me. And it doesn't matter what stage in life you are right now. This, this, this is the secret based on the experts. This is what they shared with me. People who have recovered for 30 years from an addiction. They left it 30 years ago and haven't had a relapse. 
Isn't that awesome? I mean, I, I want to listen to somebody like that. I want to, I, want to, I want to pay attention to what they say. And the interesting thing is, you're going to find that those secrets that they have to recovery are in the Bible. God knows what He's talking about. And here's another phrase, getting away with ensures you will never recover from. Getting away with ensures you will never recover from. If you were able to get away with it, man, you feel so relieved. Oh, I'm so glad she didn't find out. I'm so glad that he didn't find out. I'm so glad my parents didn't find out. I'm so glad I didn't get caught. Guess what? You're set up for another relapse in any area of your life. You're set up for another fall. And don't we all want to recover? Don't we all want to get break out of these things that are holding us down? And believe it or not, God wants to help each and every one of us make that big step. And He knows the secret. And, you know, the reason why we're doing this series, number one, it's because I believe God cares deeply about our recovery as a nation, as a people, and as individuals. And, and, and He cares so much about it. And i got to share, you know, I, I didn't have to go here with this lesson in this series. I said, you know, well, maybe we had, last week, we should, you know, maybe we, maybe we should avoid this and that, and it's going to make people feel uncomfortable. Hey, I want you to know I care that much. And I don't want to dance around the issues. Let's do this. Let's not short sell God. Let's, let's embrace what He's trying to do with our lives. After all, Jesus died for us. And we don't want to sell that short. At some point, we're going to have to stop talking our way through the reasons that we did what we did. You know, it was my dad. It was my mom. It was the environment. It was where I grew up. It was the conditions. It was this. It was the other. It was that neighbor. It was the cousins. It was, you know, whoever. Today is a day that we need to stop all that and own things and take responsibility for it. But this doesn't come easy. You know why the word fearless is in the moral inventory? Because there's something about it in all of us. Every single one of us. We are so terrified. It's frightening. We get scared. What are people going to think? How am I going to feel if I, if I go there, if I deal with this, if I come out about it? How's this going to work for me? You've got to understand... God cares so much about you. And, and you know, if we don't deal with this, as it says up on the screen, the flip side of this, if we continue to live our lives with a limp or a dent, people decide that they're going to limp through lives when they, instead of being set free and starting fresh, they, they walk around with a dent in their heart, a flat tire in life. And we will always have to compensate for things that we have in our heart. We get that, that weird anger that we don't know why. We get angry with people. We fly off the handle. Or, or that depression that comes out of nowhere and you don't know why. You hear something. You, you experience something. Maybe the message last week. Maybe the message this week. And you, and you get depressed. What's that? You're walking with a limp. And today is the opportunity you have to start, and then there's random guilt. And so, you know, as we talked about in the end of uh, 
the end of the year last year is one of the things that's really hard for us to deal with is what? Our hearts. You know, we have five senses. I would, I would say that we have six. And you know what the sixth one is? It's not the, ooh, that, that, that weird, you know, the sixth sense, you know, the old program, the, the, the sixth sense. No, your sixth sense is your heart. Pretty simple. You know how, how people perceive things? You know how you feel things in your heart? It's not your eyes, your ears, or you, you, you perceive. You say, man, something's not right. I, I don't feel right. You know, but we don't really understand our hearts. And so sometimes we can be misled by our hearts. And this is the area of our lives that we neglect the most because we don't understand our hearts. Guess who has a really firm grip on our hearts? God does. God does. And He can help us navigate through all the mystery, all the questions, all the games that we play. He can help us navigate through that. And He can help us understand ourselves. And here's the story of an addict. I have tried every way imaginable to work around my addiction. But I finally broke through when I made a fearless inventory. This was their turning point. This was their key. When they got really, really honest with themselves. And the reason most of us have not done this is because we're terrified, we're afraid to face who we are and the responsibility for what we have done. All Christians have this conviction if they're well-based in their faith. Guess who we are? If they're real Christians and they understand what the Bible says, we're a mess. All of us. Down from the minister to the elders to the deacons to all the important people in the church, everybody. Don't get faked out. Guess what? We're all a mess. We're all in recovery mode. See, that's what led us to the faith. We accepted. We got honest about who we are. We stopped playing the game like the rest of the world. This facade, this air that, yeah, I got it together and look how good I am. Look how good I look. Look how hard I work. Look at all the stuff that I have. Look how successful I am. Aren't you impressed? No, we... We decided to come to grips with ourselves. That's what Christians do. And by doing that, they're able to make real changes. Look at this verse in John chapter 3, verse 19 and 21. 19 through 21. This is the verdict. This is Jesus. Or when he was on earth, this is, this is what was shared. This is verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light. Because of their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. The real them is going to come out and they're going to have to deal. But those who live by the truth, meaning Christians, real Christians, people who really believe... But those who live by the truth, they come into the light. In our vernacular today, they come out of the closet. We laugh about that statement. People that get honest with themselves and get honest with those around them so that it may be seen plainly what God has done, not what they did, but what God has done has been done through God. 
Think about that. What keeps people from really being honest? Verse says it right here. Fear. What have you got really to be afraid of? You got, you're afraid of change? You're afraid of forgiveness? You're afraid of recovery? Ask an expert. Ask a recovery expert. You know some. Ask them. Ask them. Step number four. Was that hard for you to do? And they'll tell you, yeah. It's probably one of the hardest. And some of them took time to write a journal and day in and day out and day in and day out. They wrote in that journal every single thing that happened in their lives and their past and what they did to people in situations. And sometimes it brought them to their knees in a puddle of tears on the kitchen floor. You ask them, you ask them if it was worth it. And they'll tell you, absolutely. That's what this Bible verse is telling you. You have a choice to make. All of us do. And so we're going to look at a verse in the prophet from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah, and there's a book in the Bible named Jeremiah. He was a prophet in 600 B.C. And he was a prophet chosen by God to send a message out. And the message was, it was very doom and gloom. It was a hard message. They call him the weeping prophet because he would go around and he would cry because he knew what the future held. He knew what was going to happen. God revealed it to him. Because Judah and Israel was so unfaithful, because they strayed away from God, because they were worshiping other gods, they were doing horrible things. They were offering their children and burning sacrifices because their neighbors did it. They did it. They were doing awful things because of the influence of the people around them and they, they chose to let people around them influence them more than their God. And God said, well, I'm going to have to turn you loose then. I've protected you. I have, I have watched over you. Now I'm going to back away. And guess what happened when God backed away? The neighbors, they came in and invaded. It's a jungle out there. And many of us have been protected by God. But you keep messing around and he's going to turn you loose. And then you're going to be exposed to the jungle in our world. And let me tell you, out there, it'll rip you up, chew you up, and spit you out. And many of us know that. We've experienced it. Right? That's what was happening to Israel. They were taken captive. And then they, had their, they, they were under God's judgment for straying away from him. And then we got this king. He was the king in Jerusalem over Judah. And his name was Jehoiakim. He was put in place. And Jeremiah went to him and gave him a message. Because Jehoiakim says, we're Israel. And we got this. And he started to put together an army. And he was going to rebel against Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. It was the most powerful kingdom in the world at that time. It would be like the state of New Mexico declaring war on the rest of the United States. And then putting together a little army, the National Guard, you know, with their trucks, their pickup trucks and everything. And could you imagine that? And then the United States would just come in and, you know, get back in line. And that's what happened. Jeremiah warned him. He didn't listen. And then after Jehoiakim, Zedekiah came along. And he was the next guy put in his place. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the emperor of Babylon, put him in place. And he said, now listen, I'm going to let you be a king in Jerusalem but you need to pay taxes to me and you need to submit to me. 
And Jeremiah went to him and said, listen, you're not here to lead a rebellion. You're here to lead the people back to God. And Zedekiah, hard-headed, stubborn, put his little army together, and New Mexico was at it all over again. They tried to rebel, and they got pummeled once again. History was repeating itself. And you can imagine Jeremiah's spirit. He warned them both not to rebel against the Babylonian king, and they did it anyway. What do you think Jeremiah is feeling at this point? People are crazy. That was his conclusion. So people are crazy. Why do they do these things? Why do they, why do they, why do they make these decisions? They're foolish. And so Jeremiah, he shared this, and we're going to look at a verse that, that he shares as he was enlightened by the condition of man. It still speaks loudly to us. Look what it says here in Jeremiah 17.4. The heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things and what? Beyond cure. This is what Jeremiah said as he was looking around at all the craziness. He said, the heart is deceitful. Many of you know this verse. It's deceitful. You know the thing about deceit? You know, when someone lies to you, it's just straight up lie. You can tell you're lying. But deceit, deceit is different. You know why? Because deceit is mixed with truth. And you're like, whoa, that's half true, yes, but there's some lie in there. You know, that, that's kind of mixed up. And so it really, it throws us off balance. Guess who does that? Guess what does that? Your heart. And here's the end of the verse. It says, who can understand your heart? You know what your heart does? It lies to you. It deceives you. It deceives you. That's what Jeremiah is saying here. Our heart can deceive us. You know, there's part, some truth to it. We think we're okay, and we think this is the reason. We think this is what, what lets us off the hook, and that's not the truth at all. We get deceived. We get duped into thinking, this is the real reason for my situation. And your heart and my heart are the most deceitful part of us. You know, your eyes can deceive us, you know, especially when you get old. You look at something, you go, man, what is that? I, I, I thought I saw, and that wasn't it. thought I saw somebody that, that looked like them, but it's not them because your eyes deceive you, right? Your senses can you see, you hear a sound. And you think, oh, it was, you know, it was this or it was that. And all of our senses can deceive us. But you know what the most, the most deceitful part of your body is? According to Jeremiah, your heart. It's the most deceitful part. And it has the potential to lie to us, to ourselves. And we see this go on in our lives. We see this happen. And we begin by telling stories to other people. You remember, you did this, right? You tell people stories. You explain your situation. When you get late to school, you say, oh, well, there was traffic. That wasn't the reason you were late. You got out of bed late, Right? You know the real reason? My dog ate the homework. No, he didn't. He didn't do anything with it. You, you didn't do the homework. And so we do these stories. We tell these stories. And you know what? We tell these stories. And as adults, we get really, really good at it. Wow, we come up with some incredible, it could be Hollywood level story. And we tell these stories. And, and we know they're not true, but we tell it to other people. But then we tell the story so much that guess what? 
we start to believe our own story. We believe our own story. Yeah, that's my problem. I've told you what my problem is so many times that now I believe it. I believe my own story. And that's what is wrong with our hearts. We can never recover because we are lying to ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. And it's almost like it's second nature for us. It's like it's, like it's instinct for us. For all of us to create stories and not be honest with ourselves. You ask somebody, what would it be like if, if someone just said, I'm sorry, period. Never hear that. I'm sorry, but this is the reason. Hey, I've done it. We've all done it, right? And God's saying, stop letting your heart deceive you. and help. I'll help you understand what's going on in there. And so I want to encourage us to be honest today. Who can understand it? And, and we go through this. This is the last part of that verse in verse 4. Who can understand it? God can. But have you ever been in that position where you asked yourself, why did I do that? You look back on some of your past decisions. Why did I buy that house? I couldn't afford. Why did I do that? Why did I get in that loan? Why did I, why did I get involved in that relationship? Why did I take that credit line out? Why did I get those credit cards? Why did I get involved with that relationship? And I borrowed all that money. And you ask yourself, man, what was I thinking when I did that? You know, why did I call her back? My mom told me not to call her back. My dad told an angel from heaven came down and told me not to call him back or her back. And I did it. I did it. Why did I do that? You ever been there? Yeah. That's your deceitful heart. It leads you down this road to thinking things that are really messed up. It deceives you. This is okay. And we ask that, why did I do that? And you know, at this point in the sermon, and if we were a part of a typical church, I would say, friends, it's been so good to be together here today. And I want to encourage you to go home and, and, and make a fearless moral inventory of yourselves. Let's pray. And we'd finish 20 minutes early. Right? Wouldn't that be nice? But you know what? That's not how we roll in this church. I want to help you. I want to help you jumpstart your fearless moral inventory. I'd like to kick it off for you. Now, this is only some. You're going to have to do your own work because nobody knows your situation. But let me just say this clause in the sermon. You are going to feel uncomfortable. So are you ready? Are you ready to kick off your moral inventory? Fearless and let us begin.
And here's one of the things that, before we begin, God took an extraordinary risk at announcing forgiveness ahead of time. Quote from Philip Yancey, a Christian author. Do you realize what kind of risk it was for God to announce, to let you know beforehand that there's forgiveness? But I believe at a time like this, this needs to be our motivator to be courageous and jump. Why? Why would we jump? Because you know there's a safety net. You know that at the bottom there, there's waiting for you an abundance of forgiveness and of grace. So why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want full-on forgiveness? Why wouldn't you want to jump and see what's really in your life? And face up to it and take full responsibility. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're not a believer... Hey, you just sit here and you listen. You don't have to take responsibility for anything that I'm going to say. And and you'd say, well, you don't have any right to tell me how to live my life. And and you're right. I would agree with you. I don't. Because you're not a believer. You're not a Christian yet. I can't say anything to you. So I would encourage you just to listen in. But for the rest of us, even if you're visiting here with us and you profess to be a Christian, you've got to own this. This is what the Bible says, the Word of God says about life. So let's go there. Some of you are racist. You hate black people. You don't like them. You don't like white people. You don't like Hispanic people. You don't like Asian people. You know, when you see a situation in the news or in the media or something comes up, you see, it, it bubbles up and you say, yep, see, there it is. I don't like them. And we try to explain it away and we say, well, the reason I feel that way is because of my parents or because of somebody else. It was the way I was raised. It was where I was raised. It was my, my bigot dad or my, my, my family member. Really. You know, you've got to deal with And you've got to face that. It's not something you can explain away. Some of you don't like poor people. You've gotten told and you've heard those tapes playing in your head and you heard them when you were growing up that you don't feel very much compassion for poor people because you believe they're lazy. They're not willing to work, and that's why they're lazy. So when it comes time to write a check or when it comes time to help the poor or or do something for the poor, you're, you're not very motivated because you don't like poor people. It's time to face it. It's time to face that. A fearless moral inventory. Some of you don't like rich people. You see them when they drive up to church. In that nice car that you know you could never afford. And they drive up and you say, man, I don't like them. Why? What did they do to you? You don't like them because of something that you heard or something that you've experienced in your life. But you've got to own that. It's your responsibility for feeling that. You can't explain it away. Well, I think they're spoiled. I think they're ungrateful. They got it from mommy and daddy, and I've had to work my whole life. That still doesn't justify hating 
someone, distancing yourself from someone. It's time to own that. And stop listening to those tapes that your parents told you. Some of you don't like gay people. And what's bad about this one is is that you can use your Christianity to support the fact that you don't like them. Do you think that Jesus would like it if we used Him to support a disdain for a people that He died for? I don't think, I don't know, but I don't believe that He would like that very much. And you know the interesting thing is about it is, we categorize sin when living in a homosexual lifestyle is the same as living in an immoral lifestyle. There's no difference. For God, it's the same. And we need to have compassion on all people. God loves rich people, poor people, white people, black people, Asian people, Hispanic people. He loves everybody. So why don't we? So you've got to deal with that. You've got to own why you don't like those kinds of people. Jesus died for everyone. Another one is there are events in your past that you felt really bad about at the time that it happened, but you've never fully embraced the responsibility for it. This is very typical with young women who've had teenage abortions. See, because when they were in the situation, their mom, their dad, uh, there, there was a person at the clinic who said, you're too young, this is okay, you can do this. You felt really bad at the time, but all those people around you explained it away and you never fully embraced your responsibility for it. This is a tough one. But what I'm saying is this. Nothing, nothing, nothing is too big, too bad for God to forgive us of. You see, but He can't forgive you until you bring it to Him with full-on responsibility and stop telling the stories. It may crush your spirit, but man, it will set you free. Some of you fathered a child. And you play those stories in your head about she tricked you and it was, a, it was too young, it wasn't the right time in the relationship and, 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 and something happened. It's time to own it. It wasn't her fault. It wasn't the situation. It was you. You did that. And God the whole time is saying, Bring that to me. Bring it to me so you can recover. Bring it to me so you can be a whole man again, a whole woman again. See, these are the keys to recovery. God loves you, and He can handle it. The cross of Christ can handle it. But you've got to bring it to Him. And God is saying, stop running around the issues and bring it to the cross so you can have full recovery.
Some of us need to finish this sentence and fill in the blank. The real reason I'm unemployed is fill in the blank. The real reason I'm taking this job, the real reason I filed for divorce, the real reason I married him or her, and ladies, some of you have a terrible marriage and you have 25,000 reasons why he's a bad husband. But you knew it at the time that you married him. You knew it wasn't the best decision. And it's time for you to own that instead of excusing it away. And only then can you begin on the road to recovery. And God just wants us to face things. You know, and, and there's some men in the audience that, you know, you know you rushed to the decision. You know you rushed to the relationship. And now you're in this relationship and it's not working. And you want to blame her because she's not this and she's not that and she doesn't do this and she doesn't do that. And all the while, you entered into the relationship. It's your responsibility. And you've got to own that. 100%. And then your marriage can start taking off. I've seen it happen. But if you continue down this road of pointing the finger and he's the problem, she's the problem, somebody else is the problem, it'll never happen. The real reason you don't pay taxes. You know, and some of us are involved in this Republican subterfuge of, well, the reason I don't is because I don't agree with them in Washington and that's why I don't want to pay it. Come on. What's the real reason? You don't want to give up what's yours and pay your fair share. The real reason you dropped out of school. And you've told people all the stories, well, I had this, I had that. What was the real reason? What was the real reason I sold my house? What is the real reason we live together? What is the real reason I take pain medication beyond the limit? What's the real reason I drink too much? What's the real reason... I overeat. These are tough ones. See, God wants us to come clean and deal with the issues and stop explaining things and face what is your need. Now, trust me, this is really, really difficult for me to bring this to you, but at the same time, I ask myself, what have these experts gone through in recovery? Do you realize? Do you not understand what it took to them for, for them to get to the next level? And sometimes we want a shortcut. Now the question is, do you want to walk around the rest of your life with a limp? With a dent? With rust in your heart and in your life? And that's why we need a Fearless, fearless, fearless moral inventory. Now, let me ask you this. Wouldn't it be cool if next, the next couple of weeks one of our, our congressmen came forward? You saw it on the news. Headline news. He came forward. Hello, citizens of the United States. I've been serving in this district for the last 12 years. It's a predominantly poor district. 
And I've been using my platform to advance my own position. And I've got to confess and I've got to be open here today with you that I hate poor people. And I can't get out of my district soon enough. I can't use enough Purell on my hands to wash my hands and jump back into my limousine and get back to my cush office back in Washington. But I don't believe my people and my constituents deserve a better servant than me. And so today I am coming before the United States to resign as your congressman. Wouldn't that be awesome? What would that do to our nation? Or another congressman or congresswoman, if they came before on the news and said, you know what, I, I have to say today I've been serving for the last five years in the Congress and I'm so, I'm so in bed with the lobbyists and I'm so in bed with the, with the special interest groups, I don't even think about my constituents when I look to pass a law or to consider a decision in Congress. Everything is about the special interest groups and I've come to grips with it and I know it's wrong and I come today to resign because this is not fair to the people that elected me. Wouldn't that be awesome? Or another congressman will come up and before C-SPAN and say, I, I come to you today, I've been in an affair with my wife and uh, with my family, against my family for the last five years. I've lied to them, I've lied to my wife, and I've lied to the Congress, and I've lied to the United States, so today I'm stepping down. Because there's no way I can serve in this position, given my situation. Wouldn't that be awesome? And some of you say, well, man, if we, they did that, half the people in Congress would have to step down. before you laugh too hard. Recovery begins with who? Starts right here. And before we can say anything to them about anything they need to change, but could you imagine if our country, just the Christians in our country, got about this of recovery and started on a road to recovery? Could you imagine what that would do to our nation? So today I want to I want to encourage you to start your recovery with the one step a fearless, fearless, fearless moral inventory. So let's stop postponing it. Let's start getting honest and real with our with our with, with, and start getting real with ourselves. And then sit down with a close friend and say, you know what, I need your help. I want to tell you all this stuff so I can get free. I can be set free. And it's not going to begin in Washington with somebody else. It begins with you and with me because recovery begins with a fearless, moral recovery. And here's what the Scriptures say about this. And this is where we're going to close. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Actually, verse 5 through 9 through 10. This is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In other words, we have real relationships. Some of us are not going to be able to have real relationships in our marriage, real relationships with our family until we come into the light. And that means a fearless, fearless moral 
inventory. But look what it says. If we come into light, we have fellowship with one another, and here's the biggest part, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all of it. All of it. No matter how disgusting and despicable and shameful it was, how bad you feel about it. God's saying, bring it to me and I will wash you. I will change you. But we've got to be honest here. In verse 8 and 8 through 10, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Our heart is deceitful above all things. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess, if we get open, you know, some people have a problem with confession. Well, I confess to God. Yeah, but you're not fully set free. Ask the experts. Ask the people who know. You've got to get open with people. We looked at that verse not too long ago. Confess your sins to one another. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be, and pray for one another so that you may be what? Healed. Confession is awesome. It's where healing is found. It's where recovery begins. And He will forgive us our sins and purify us from what? All, all, all unrighteousness. Is there anything not included in all? Is your situation not included in all? Is your family dynamic not included in all? All of it. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His Word has no place in our lives. In other words, no recovery. I invite all of us today to participate in a recovery. See, God, Jesus, is the author of recovery. That's where it all begins. If we want to recover as a nation, we want to recover our marriage, we want to recover our family, it starts with these steps. With, with we, not they, it starts with a fearless moral inventory. And no excuses, no blame shifting. It's not her fault, it's not his fault, it's not their fault, it's me. And then... Full-on forgiveness. So tell me, what's the downside? Fear. Now I realize. But I want to encourage you to be courageous. Be courageous. Because recovery is waiting on the other side. Let's pray together. Our Father God in heaven, we thank you so much for your abundant grace. God, You are so good to us. You've been waiting our whole life to bring us back home, for us to face our responsibility. God, we pray that today You can help us to have the courage to do a fearless moral inventory of our lives. God, we beg You to help us to realize that Jesus died so we could do this. He bled. Blood poured from His body so that we could have this recovery. He was beaten, He was spat upon, He was humiliated so that we could recover. God, we beg You that we won't let that fall to the ground, but we'll embrace it and we'll take full advantage. 
of recovery. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You that now we can take the communion and remember His body and blood that we were, were beaten and poured out for us. Help us, God, to start again this week and get on that road to full-on recovery. We love You. We need You. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for Your amazing grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.